again, thanks to Cry Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by Australian Brews News' fence-sitter-in-chief, the only man I know that knows all the words to Kumbaya, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. Ow, ow, ow. Sorry, I'm just getting the splinters out of my ass. <laughs> G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Splinters or barbed wire? <laughs> no, splinters. Fence-sitter. You started it. Oh, if it's a barbed wire fence, <laughs> that, that's, that's where the uh, trouble comes from sitting on a, on a fence, Prof. No, I don't sit on a fence. I just don't have any negative opinions. It's, there's a very big difference, Matt. Well, mate, tell us just how unbelievably awesome was Gab Sydney. Well, I don't want to pump up the tyres too much or blow too much sunshine <laughs> up your skirt, you twat. But thanks for asking. Uh, it was lovely. Thank you. I, I, I should say that there had, seems to have been a, a, a fairly, and we'll get to it in cardinal letters, but there seems to have been a fairly uh, uh, positive response or there's certainly an interested response in our discussion last week. So uh, Very um, much. Yeah. 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 I, I'm thinking of starting a new um, segment that I'll inter- just pop in to, uh, to every episode from now on called Prof's, pop, Prof's Pot Shots. <laughs> where I'll just have a crack at something just for the sake of it, all right? Just so that, you know, I can be not seen as, you know, sunshine, well, lollipops I, and rainbows. I, I, I should say that it's it's not that you don't take pot shots. It's just that they're all at me. Sorry, you just broke up there, Matt. <laughs> Hello, listeners, anyway. listeners, if you can hear Matt, just, just, just tell him to rein it back a bit. Anyway, it has been a, it, it, it's been a big week um, or a big weekend for you in Sydney. How was uh, Gab Sydney? All kidding aside. Yeah, no, the second instalment of Gab Sydney, and we added this year a Friday night session to the Saturday afternoon and Saturday night session. Saturday afternoon and Saturday night were both uh, sold out, uh, and with a little bit of uh, work and work with liquor licensing and the venue and various other things, the guys at fairly late notice were able to. Uh, I think release another couple of hundred tickets on a first-in, first-serve basis. Um, big improvement on last year, obviously, a lot more people there, and the most obvious thing was a lot more people seemed to get the concept of the festival beers, which I think last year uh, a lot of people came in thinking, it's a beer festival, let's go around to all these beer um, uh, stands and have beers from those stands, rather than it's kind of about the, the festival beers as a, a showcase. So this year it was it was um, noticeably uh, more take up on that. And and how how were those beers uh, received? Given that that was one of the things that apparently I shit canned last week. <laughs> you know what? Because it's funny. I've been sitting on the plane on the way back. I thought, I'm just going to go through all these beers because I, oh, I, I worked out. I must have tried. Defense. I must have tried half uh, of the beers. Okay. And I thought, geez, I must have just had some dumb luck that I just copped all these ones that I thought were you know quite of merchantable quality and that were quite drinkable and that were um, almost enjoyable um, without putting too positive a spin on it. Uh, I think, look, Gabs has probably got to that stage where it has developed and grown to a point where it's it's kind of going through perhaps a bit of a, um, not puberty, but it's going, you know, perhaps going through some growing pains where uh, some of the brewers perhaps, and look, there's, one of the brewers, or many of the brewers in, the, in our Q&As made the comment that you've got 60 mils and 10 seconds to get your message across or to wow somebody with your beer. So you've got to do it with the name or the name of your brewery or the uh, concept of the, of the festival beer. I think a lot of people look at that and uh, are trying to read between lines that aren't there and say, oh, it's just, you know, trying to out 
weird each other or it's, you know, it's a cockfest about brewers who can brew the stupidest beer. And it, I, 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 look, I'm, I'm inside looking out, so maybe I'm just store blind, but I just can't see that. Well, and I mean, that actually brings me in because yesterday there was a, um, an article that, or actually it was a week ago, um, that just came in my feed yesterday. Uh, it was on the ABC News, and I'll post a link to it. But the headline is, Drink If You Dare, Introducing Craft Beer with Essence of Whale Vomit. Um, we, we, yeah, again, so, you know, it's one of those attention-grabbing things. But then the, the first paragraph uh, starts, In the craft beer world where attention-grabbing names and quirky ingredients are king, a unique seafaring ingredient is proving a winner for a South Australian coastal brewer. Um, and it's obviously talking about the ambergris beer, um, sometimes known as whale vomit. Or but, sometimes you know, known as ambergris. Ambergris. Oh, sorry, ambergris, of course. Uh-huh. Um, uh, <laughs> but And it's used in perfumes and all those sorts of things. But, you know, to, to me, that actually sums up the problem that we're setting ourselves, that you've got mainstream media um, viewing because when there is such a focus and there is such a PR focus and there is such a, you know, the, the, this is the story about craft beer, that you start getting headlines and saying, you know, in the craft beer world where attention-grabbing names and quirky ingredients are king, you know, I would much rather, you know, have rock-solid quality and, you know, um, consistency as being king for craft beer as opposed to quirky ingredients. And that's the problem that I see craft beer, you know, know, not taking anything away from the festival and and, and what a great, um, you know... Event it is. Event it is. But... but, but, but also that, you know, what a great, um, marketing tool these beers are for that. But you, you, you do see, um, a lot of these beers, they're, they're not all used in gabs, no, as big as gabs is. And, you know, they're, they're starting to spring up around the country and there's a lot of beers that are hitting the, the, the shop. But there's also a lot of, you know, of these beers that are just being made throughout the year where it does seem the hook is the thing as opposed to um, quality. And, you know, I, I've actually, it, 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 while I was mulling this, I sort of thought, well, I actually don't think that bubble is the way to describe the craft beer community. Um, I, I actually see that, that there is this element that it is becoming a, a biosphere. And the reason I tell you that is when I looked it up and uh, I, I've become very familiar with um, Dictionaries. my dictionary yep. since uh, Turgeon. Um, but a biosphere is an artificial structure enclosing a self-contained ecosystem or ecosystem systems. And, and, and to me, that's a little bit where part of the craft beer world just exists in this little area where it doesn't look out, you know, and it's, you know, to, to the state, you know, where, where it's no longer connected to the broader, um, craft beer world or, or even the, just the broad, broader beer world. And, you know, if you drink two is new, you, you just don't belong, you know, you, you are just shit canned and, you know, and all of those sorts of things. And there is this little self-feeding, um, artificial structure that's grown up around, um, beer, that's not asking questions. Well, you know, are these things good? You know, are, are, are these beers automatically good for beer or are they just good for the beer festival? Um, and, and when you start seeing headlines like that, I, I, I do tend to worry a little bit. I don't. Okay. I don't completely disagree. But I'm 99% completely disagreement. Um, no. <laughs> no, I see those beers as a hook to get people in. And if that gets people in and then they realise, actually, there's more to life than whale vomit and belly button fluff. Because we're not, we're not talking about whale vomit and belly button fluff in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks' time. 
we're back to what a great festival it was, what's going to happen next year, or uh, something else will then come along next year and it'll be, you know, a new wave of dessert beers or uh, gozers certainly seem to be very popular this year, as did sours, as did coffee infused, as did big ass double IPAs. Um, but, but that's that, but, so but that's my point. Don't, don't you reckon it gets, if, if it gets people, if that's what people need to get uh, over the line and say, you know what, this might be something worth looking at because I saw it in a mainstream newspaper where I wouldn't normally have seen anything about craft beer before. Um, and then when I get in there, I realise, wow, there's some other really interesting beers here that are not weird ass. Well, except that when you the, the, the headline, the, the lead into this article wasn't about you know whale vomit is a you know isn't that a novel ingredient? It's you're, you're, in the you're, giving, you're giving the the average punter a lot of credit for actually reading and then remembering and caring about what's written in mainstream newspapers. I reckon. It's a catch-all summary of what craft beer is, where attention-grabbing names and quirky ingredients are king. And, and, and you reckon they're not so? To me, hop hog. Fat yak. So there's one on either side, isn't there? Or I oh know the days of Empire Lager or um, you know um, Tui's Darling Pale Ale versus Watermelon Warhead Milk and Two Sugars. Isn't that really, I guess, defining old, staid, traditional, and perhaps a bit pedestrian versus new, exciting, groundbreaking, uh, different, but it's still beer. Well, I, I, yeah. What do you think and, and again, look, I, I, I'm not saying it's automatically or bad or anything like that, but I think there is an element of arms race that is creeping in, you know, as, as this goes along. And, you know, so last time we did uh, beer hair, uh, you know, beard yeast. Yep. This time we're going to do belly button. Where, just where can we think of the most offensive place to take yeast from last time? And, you know, it, it's just got – there are so many parallels on, that are always I'm drawn. i my pen here. Ask Crack Ale. <laughs> next year. Just in, I want to trademark some things. Just go on. Well, mate, we, we, we've had deer semen. You know, we've had... Armpit, uh, armpit marzen. Uh, we, 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 we've had a brewer in, what was it, Poland or the Czech Republic make the sort of... Didn't get off the ground. Didn't no, it? Okay. No, no she, well, didn't, um, she didn't get crowdfunded. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and there is. And there are a lot of parallels drawn between music and craft beer. Um, and, you know, I, I just sort of want... Worry that we've started to get into the, you know, we've had um, we've had tactical, tactical nuclear penguin and we've had end of history and then and then that all kind of that wave just kind of came into shore and then spread out and you know you can almost argue that Brewdog are, are, are now you know a mainstream craft brewery. Okay, what happens when we've done every novelty that we can think of and it's just back to to craft beer? You know, it, it, when, when everyone hasn't craft is beer so always and- been about. The different though, even you look back to say Dog Bolter when it was a nine percent English style strong ale, a dark strong ale, um, that was completely different to everything else that was available. That was weird. That was out there. Oh, but it, it was. Re- but well, see, I, I draw a difference between the modern, you know, again that little creatures two thousand period because a lot that of that was a weird beer because it had all this hop flavour and bitterness and character. No, no, exactly. Exactly. When they first taste it, going, my God, this is a bit different to VB. Yeah, but again, it was, I, you know, it was, it was adventurous. But then that's where this idea of the arms race comes in, where, you know, I mean, how many? Yeah, but if you, if you don't have, if you don't have any marketing budget like the big guys do, what do you do to get your brand seen above the others? You've either got to have uh, a catchy logo, a catchy name, 
um, or catchy brand names or catchy, uh, you know, viral marketing campaigns on the internet. Yeah, no, no look, and I, I hear what you're saying. I guess my, my ultimate fear is that, you know, like flares, which started as a fashion thing, um, and, you know, they got bigger and bigger and ever more ridiculous, and suddenly you've got the Bay City Rollers, and everyone goes, how ridiculous is this? And, you know... It, yeah, you're going to go with the Bay City Rollers now. Yeah. Jeez. Well, are you going to defend them? <laughs> well, no, not not the not the one who turned out to be the Kitty Fiddler, <laughs> but all the others and the general concept and their music. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay, mate. Okay, okay. Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, let's but, not okay. visit the Gary Glitter Hall of Fame, but let's just say <laughs> maybe there are better examples. But I, I, I get what you mean. But now you know, um, hipster jeans have got so skinny you can't even get your leg in it. So everything everything becomes ridiculous, doesn't it? Based on that. Well, it does, but it's just so long as the baby doesn't get thrown out with bathwater. And I still think that the when there is such a ten, you know, if that is all craft beer is or all that beer is seen as being as an, as an excitement, then you know when when the tide washes out, what are you left with? Um, and you know, I, I don't think it, when there is this arms race that there's this constant. Um, you know, need to fuel hype. Once that hype stops, does everybody just go back to, you know, the $40 carton of whatever, which is going to be fat yak and, you know, uh, well, you know, I won't even say VB anymore because that's not going it, to, it's waiting until it becomes a genuine heritage brand. Um, that there'll be other things in the meantime, you know, I, I look, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I just sort of think that, uh, when small brewers, only hope is uh, hype and nonsense, then it, 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 there is a risk um, of, of the rubber band snapping back. But anyway, that, that's, I don't think we can uh, do this anymore. Lockie, I can just see, I can just hear, oh, he's having a go with the flowers now. <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll, 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 we'll get to Lockie's uh, magnificent effort last week at the end of, end of the show. But um, anything else happened this week, Prof? Lots of really anything positive else? stuff happened this week, Matt. Um, I'm positive that there are some twats on the internet. I'm sorry to break that to you. Uh, in in the first installment and, and, of props and, and pot shots, on, <laughs> and not just on the other end of this uh, microphone. Is that you speaking from? Anyway, uh, yeah, a bit of feedback from uh, from the Gabs Festival on, a, I guess, a, a negative note um, about people having people were negative about Gabs having prop. difficult. Yeah, after the fact, having difficulty. Yeah, just wait for it, all right? Uh, having difficulty getting uh, refunds on their new the the Glownet event um, cards were for, we we use, which is you know, load it up with your credit card and then you go around and tap and go, basically buying your your samples, uh, t-shirts, food, the whole lot, rides on the Ferris wheel, whatever you want. Um, some people then sort of got into a bit of a an angry discussion about how they felt ripped off because uh, they had left. Well, in some cases, they were saying up to $300 on their card, which is impossible because $200 was the limit that you could put onto a card in any one go. Um, but to have somebody complain about having walked out leaving $120 on a card because they were so drunk they forgot to do it and then that's not their fault, I just think I, I have an issue with that. And that, that's I, all the option I'm going to give it. But I did as a favour to Gabs and to the Facebook pages that these discussions were uh, happening on, uh, spoke to Guy Greenstone, who was in charge of the Gab's currency side of things uh, at the festival this year for both Melbourne and Sydney and New Zealand, 
and um, and, and just got a few of the details. I won't go through them all now because Guy has very kindly gone back into those social media platforms and stated point by point um, the the facts as they um, as they related to the complaints. So hopefully that'll all be sorted out. But to their very to their credit, they are going back through the Glownet company to see if a portal can be set up to offer online refunds. They're certainly going to look at doing that for next year. They're going to see whether or not at this late stage it's possible to do it for this year. But, and, and that's one of the great things about the, the guys who put on um, GABS is that they are genuinely constantly looking to improve and make sure their punters are happy. And I remember that the very first year, um, the very first session, uh, the container bars were absolutely swamped. Um, and that was the, the, the big story on, on social media. Yep. Um, and, and don't forget, you know, too, just a, as a postscript to that, that was the first session, the first, the Friday, whatever, the, I can't remember how many sessions there were, um, but it was the first session. By the second session of that very first GABS, they had already changed the format of the queuing system so that it was you know, uh, more, uh, more numerous, shorter lines rather than a, um, you know, like a baggage check-in at the airport line where it's kind of one line that snakes around. Yep. So, yeah, so, no. so even things like that, the, the guys are, are definitely wanting to be proactive. And, 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 and everything they've done, they've just whenever there's been issues, they've addressed them very, very quickly. And you still see them running around uh, like crazy men during the event, um, trying to make sure that all of the small little things are being done. And you know, they, they, they do do that very, very well. Yeah. Yep. And as much as you, you uh, try to be proactive, until you know the rubber hits the road and the, the doors actually open, and and then the mob kind of. I guess finds its level. You, you you can only be proactive up to a point, and you can you know anticipate what might happen, but then you you've also then allowed to be reactive when it perhaps doesn't go the way you thought it would, and then you have to kind of change that to make it. Because at the end of the day, a smooth running festival is is, is great for everyone, uh, and even little things like um, I mean bringing uh, the band as well as circus trick tees and Haley Hoopla and the other uh, circus acts, um, the Ale Capones. And even um, the core of the security team who have done Melbourne for the last five years were brought up to Sydney this year, and that made a massive difference. And those guys, I think we talked about it two years ago. We've talked about it every year, but just how excellent their security are and how um, active they are in preventing trouble from even occurring, which is the yeah, hallmark of because great they, security. Because they've trained themselves to be beer festival security and you do it differently to and look god love them they, they did try their best last year with the you having they were required to use the house security last year who to be you know fair to them are used to doing you know book fairs and you know sydney literary week or um more i guess uh urbane um events uh and not used to being proactive they, they're kind of sitting back going, just i hope nothing goes pear-shaped here and then mm. didn't know what to do when it did so, but anyway, well, that's probably uh, enough gaps over the last uh, two episodes. Now, you're going to Auckland in a couple in of weeks? two weekends, yes. Uh, so, so we'll revisit it then and just yeah. hear just a little bit more of uh, the awesomeness. Everything is awesome. <laughs> uh, actually, while we're talking Peanut Gallery um, uh, online, yep. my beef that uh, came through my social media this week was somebody on had a posted a photo. Is it? No. No, what was that? Don't you one? normally refer to them as you know, chimp, chimp on a keyboard, or is this no, 
No, no, but, but actually, but, but that's uh, that, that is an analogy I've used uh, recently. Um, but we'll, we'll come to that. That's uh, in later news. But um, no, just somebody posted a photo of little creatures pale ale, and uh, you know, with the oh, my wife bought me uh, inverted commas craft beer. Um, I suppose I'll have to drink it. And then there was the usual, you know, sort of peanuts going, yep. oh, you know, not it's not the same since it sold out, and yeah, all of yep. that. And you're just sort of thinking, you know. <sighs> I mean, I just don't know that it even sort of warrants much. But you don't want to give them oxygen. But by the same token, you know what? If you're going to stick a big stupid head up over the fence, don't be surprised when it gets a smack across the face. Yeah. Look, and if you choose make the purely political decision that you don't want to support big brewers and that you want to keep your money, you know, small, independent, um, that's fine. Yeah. But call it what it is. It's not a discerning choice. It's not a that you've got a better palate than anybody else. It is just that you have chosen to keep your money w- w- within a certain class of brewer, and that's fine. But you know, little creatures, you, I, I still don't think you can say a harsh word against the prof. I saw a very similar thing, Matt. That you, you've just reminded me, and it's just stirred up some negative emotion, which I'm trying to suppress, but I'm going to just let rip here. Uh, a similar sort Come of on, thing. Get on, off the fence. Get off the fence. Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. Uh, oh, it's watery and bland. It's just not the same as it, it as it used to be. Well, two things, champ. Either they have actually watered it down, and your palate is so good that you've discerned that. But I'm guessing that's not the case. I'm guessing your palate has actually developed, but has not yet come to realise that now the more lifted hop aroma, lighter style beers are therefore going to seem less. Um, uh, exciting as they were when you first tried them. Secondly, if all you want are one-dimensional, out of balance, let's see how many hops we can throw in and make them big and bitter IPAs you're drinking this week. Um, stick to those, but don't bag what you don't know. End. End go. rant. <laughs> Feel better? I do, actually. <laughs> Lucky, I want a little, I want a little, or something, I don't know, like, cross pot shots. <laughs> But and the the one other thing I'll add to that is that if you're reviewing it, you know, at the cusp of winter, it's (laughs) going to taste very different. You know, when when, depending on where, I've got no idea where that review came from. Context, occasion, all those things. Very different from sitting in the uh, Pacific Hotel at Yamba in the height of summer. But anyway, which is incidentally why they brought out Jasper because. They knew that they needed a beer that was a little bit more satisfying in winter. But anyway, um, mate, big news this week with um, Lion buying Panhead Custom Mails. Any thoughts? Yeah, good on them. Uh, I think Mike and the crew, uh, to, to have created a product in under three years that um, Lion wishes to have in their stable and it, Gone to the days of the big breweries buying the little breweries in order to just accumulate all their gear and their intellectual property and then absorb them into a, you know, a mega brewery, such as a CB and, and Lion have done over the, the years. Now I think it's, you know what, we need more strings to our bow. Um, this fills a, a, a niche. I know that the guys have produced some keg beer over here, um, on a, a, a gypsy slash contract basis so they want to have their beers over here um, available to us now maybe with this extra capacity that Lion can provide um, that might solve that problem and good on them, go and buy a panhead or you know, drive down and sit on the beach and enjoy what you've what you've done 
Absolutely. No, but, I mean, the, the, the one um, comment that I'll make about it, and absolutely, good luck. Uh, actually, I'll make two comments about it. One was I very much enjoyed uh, James Atkinson, our editor, uh, James Atkinson. Um, he posted a slide from the Craft Brewers Association in the States, their conference, which was the script for these takeovers. Yeah. And uh, there was a fairly close conformance to that. Yeah. Um, yeah we're, we're not going to change. What else are you going to say? It is the flip side of that. You know, what else are you going to say? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we now we, we welcome our new overlords. Um, yes, I for uh, one welcome our new insect <laughs> yeah. overlords. Uh, but uh, apart from that, it, I, I just am fascinated to see the breweries that Lion is buying. They're obviously cashed up. Um, I, they, they're certainly cashed up here because they have um, they've divested quite a bit, haven't they, in the yeah. Lion Foods side of things. And I believe that in losing Corona, there was a big cash settlement. Um, yeah, that, so they, they've lost the distribution for Corona, but they, you know, get paid out of that. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's the, the grinning kid who's just got his birthday money, and he's going, I'm just going to go and get all the stuff that I really want now. And good, yep. good on them. Yeah, absolutely. But I will, um, I'll, I'll just con- contrast their performance with uh, CUBs, which, you know, CUB has managed to. Uh, you know, just over tinker with um, Cascade um, and basically kill it off um, a, a, as a brand. You know, they've tried to put too much on its shoulders. They've messed around. They've changed bottles. They've changed branding, and just you know managed to kill it off. And then they've killed uh, Matilda Bay by neglect. Um, and you know they've got Great Northern, which is doing great guns for them, which is you know, not. Hardly, hardly innovation. It was a uh, day out summer bright lagered, summer bright lager, um, and it's a fresher Corona. And they've got Fat Yak. Um, and so far as Fat Yak goes, I, I think there are a lot of people in marketing who are patting themselves on the back and saying what geniuses they are because they've got this runaway success um, of a beer. The other way of uh, looking at it is, and, and this is where the monkeys come in, Prof. You know, if you've got enough monkeys typing enough keyboards, sooner or later they're going to type a sentence. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe not the works of Shakespeare, but they are going to type a sentence. And you, you, so Fat Yak is one thing that did work. And a quick hello to our, all our primate friends at CUB. <laughs> I can't believe you're going to go with them now. Well, it's not. It is sort of good. Well, actually, I'm about the only bloke that hasn't had a go at them. Uh, you know, we, we had that. We were invited to lunch with them at uh, you were. during Good Beer Week um, where we heard the strategy. And there was wasn't much new that came out of it. There was a whole lot of, you know, we're going to do things, we're going to, don't worry about Matilda Bay, we've got it all sorted, um, and yet not at Gabs, you know, just nowhere. Um, you know, it, it, it's all yaks all of the time. Um, and sure, they can tell themselves what geniuses they were and that, you know, so everything's going to be, everything that failed for them under Matilda Bay is suddenly going to come out uh, as, you know, a, a yak ale and then, you know, wild jack Pacific ale, um, whatever that nonsense is. Um, but, you know, look, everyone else had a go at them. But it was just when I'm just really comparing and contrasting lines, which seems to be strategically buying some fairly, you know, Panhead is a fairly challenging brand. Um, you know, they, they it, is, bought it has a lot of street cred. And yeah, and it's, got and, and it's very different to, I guess, the beers produced by um, by Emerson's, which again did very well in terms of gold medals uh, and silver medals at the AIBAs. 
So, you know, if you look at the, yeah, there was a lot of parallel between New Zealand and Australia and that in Australia they've got the James Squire, um, which incidentally they started, you know, they, they had Chuck and they had the brewery and they started and they have nurtured that from nothing. Um, then they strategically bought into Little Creatures and then they bought it out and they've, they haven't messed around with that. It's got a stronger brand. They've got a couple of little things off the side of that, which are, you know, Furphy and, uh, things. So they've got their two really, and then they've got their white rabbit, um, and then they've managed Kosciuszko. to really nurture that. Yep. Kosciuszko, which again. And don't forget Napstein, Napstein Reserve Lager. It's a bit of a, a bit of an underrated, quiet hero, I reckon. Did, I'm trying to think, did they kick that off or was that one that they inherited as a result of acquisition? I think it was acquired from memory. Okay. Um, and, and then in New Zealand, you know, they've got Max, which is their, uh, James Squire. They bought Emerson's, which is probably their equivalent to Little Creatures. Yep. Um, and now they've got Panhead, which is probably, you know, a little bit more White Rabbit, um, Subaru. So they've got these very well balanced portfolios. And I look at CUB and, you know, what is, what has CUB done by comparison? Yeah, it's a very, they, very different strategy and, and with very different results, clearly. Yeah. Huh? But, well, you know, but interesting to see what happens in the next two or three years, I reckon. Maybe even the next 18 months. Do you know something that I don't know, Prof? Or? I'm, I'm, the reason I ask is because, you know, mate, hell, we, we've been doing hey, this podcast for six no, years. You can't see me winking. Um, sorry. <laughs> we've been doing this podcast for six years and we've interviewed them, you know, regularly and just hear the same lines trotted out. Yeah. yeah. So, so but it, it, it breaks my heart, mate. I know. Yeah, no, he, it, agree. Let, well, I think we're probably due to speak to Tim Avada here again. Um, yeah, you know, again. He said to say hi. He, uh, he loves what we're doing. I bumped into him yeah, at, you know, uh, at Melbourne. Yeah. yeah. And really lovely. I had a wonderful lunch. Like that was it. It was a wonderful lunch. But I, you know, individually, there are some really, really clever insights when you speak to them. You go, wow, you know, like it, <laughs> there, there are some things you guys really get, but there's something about that organization. It just doesn't seem to get when, through the labyrinth, um, and out, out the other end in the same format. It's a bit of but here, purple, here, monkey, <laughs> purple monkey dishwasher. Here's my challenge, Prof. I reckon, um, if they're not going to use it, could they just lend us Matilda Bay for 12 months and we'll see what we can do with it? Done. In all seriousness, would you want to uh, be responsible for the Matilda Bay brand for 12 months? Not at the moment, I wouldn't. Oh, no, well, it'd be easy because I think you've only got Alpha and Redback, haven't you? Uh, no, Alpha, Redback, Dog Bolt is still there. Okay. Um, so? But look, my understanding is that they're certainly, whatever they're producing, they're not selling um, at, at Cascade. Um, that, you know, they just can't produce the small volumes that they need. Um, and I reckon without a marketing budget, so long as they provided us, you know, we had their access to their logistics and, you know, that sort of support, um, I would quite happily take, I wouldn't even need a yak caravan prof. I would take a card table, um, and a miracle box and just take it around to every beer festival in Australia. Um, every, and I'd be pouring the beers every week and I reckon we would sell more beer than whatever their marketing efforts are. All right. Oh, I mean, if you're in, if you can get it, you can get and do it. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Let's have a chat to Tim. Done. See what we can do. Um, and but not only that, what a story would that be? You know, two two peanuts on the radio who sort of said, "Give us your brand," and we've uh, turned it round. And they did. Um, <laughs> and they did. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, but, what, what um, would Brendan Varus have to say about something like this? Do you think? think? Well, Brendan Virus had a lot to say about a lot of things, and uh, he, he he actually he didn't have a lot to say about uh, acquisitions. 
No, he didn't, but he, he certainly was keen to get off that subject. But let's have a chat to Brendan. Thank you very much, for everyone, for, for sticking with us. Initially, we were looking at doing a, a science in the Brew House um, uh, panel, and Brendan, uh, Brendan was going to be on that. Uh, we couldn't get any of the scientists that we wanted to uh, talk about it. So, uh, seeing we had Brendan, we thought we could talk a little bit about that anyway. But also, Brendan uh, is I now... Give, I can give you a faux science. <laughs> I can make it up. Um, I'll just put on a lab coat because that's all a scientist needs. Um, and a clipboard. And a clipboard and some uh, safety glasses. But Brendan, uh, we, we've had a couple of podcasts with Brendan over the years and so it was just a great chance to talk to Brendan who, as you might have noticed uh, earlier, is not shy in uh, giving his thoughts uh, about the, the industry and I think that comes uh, a lot from his experience and also his love of the industry that it doesn't help anything when we don't talk openly about uh, about the industry. And I think, Prof, this is the... I think it's about the fifth time we've actually interviewed Brendan for the podcast. There were a couple of great lost episodes um, that fell onto the cutting room floor. Um, Radio Brews News, The Missing Years. Do you want to just check to make sure I press play on the recorder? <laughs> yeah, <before> we <laughs> no, you laugh now. Because that has happened before. It has happened. Uh, red is light, Tinkerbell's on. Are, are the numbers running up? Yep. Okay, then we're all good to go. But Brendan Varis, uh, you, you probably don't need an uh, introduction, but you are the owner of Feral uh, and head brewer at Feral. Do you still keep that title or have you uh, relinquished that title and you're now just the uh, gadabout? Yeah, put it this way, if we asked Will Irving, who's the head brewer <laughs> and who's perhaps the you know executive brewer... I don't think it would come from Will, that argument, but there might be one of our guys in the production brewery that suggests they certainly spend more time on the production floor than me, but I'm clinging to it at the moment. <laughs> Maybe just, uh, you know, in, in, in 50 words or less, just recap the history of... Uh, we're not going to actually hold you to that, but just, just recap the history of uh, Feral. When did you start? Where did you start? Um, you know, you, you've had a new brewery um, and then you've announced a new brewery. Just, actually, I've just done it for you. Um, but maybe, maybe you could fill in some of the colour around that. Okay, so we started back... We opened in 2002 in the Swan Valley. We opened as a brew pub, so the intention there was to make beer, sell it right where we made it, get people to travel out to us and consume and enjoy it uh, in the Swan Valley. Um, demand, I guess, saw us after a little while making beers from that little brewery to share with a bit of the rest of Australia. And at one point all we were doing was making two or three beers and lost a bit of a, a cause of why we opened, which was to be really diverse and interesting in the beer we make. To get around that, we built a production brewery in 2012 um, and from that point on we've now operated two breweries. The Brew Pub got back to doing more interesting and diverse beers than it ever had before, having taken the production load off it and it let us share more broadly the, our, I hate the word core, we still haven't come up with a better one internally yet, but our, our core range of beers uh, with the rest of the country a little bit more. Um, that. And so four years ago, the production brewery, we've now kind of outgrown the physical space. We're moving that and doing a bit of an upgrade in the next couple of days, or well, weeks, I should say. But I remember visiting the brewery, it must have been oh, way back in 2005 or 2006 in the Swan Valley. Feral White was still in those days your number one beer. Um, you'd had some experiment, experimentation with contract brewing on this side of the country to try and get the, 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 the beer to market in the, in the quality and you were a bit unhappy with the way that the contract brewing was working. I guess there are two things in that. In these days, craft beer and hops are pretty much synonymous. Um, you know, once you start taking 
belly button yeast and things out of the equation, but uh, <laughs> hops, Brett, novelty and hype. Uh, I, don't, I like your shirt there, Pete. Thanks, um, but in, in the early days, you know, even in the days before Little Creatures and in you know, some of the nascent days of boutique brewing before it was even called craft, um, it seemed to be German wheat beers, English uh, bitters, um, pilsners and genuinely, you know, people trying to make a premium lager. And we never saw the same explosive growth uh, that we've seen subsequent to hops suddenly coming and being the ingredient that excites everybody. But you, di you did start with your feral white beer as being your big seller and it's been taken over by a very hop-driven beer. What have you noticed about the Australian palate or you know, the, the craft beer palate that has driven some of those you know, macro trends within the industry? Yeah, why it's gone from liking sweeter fermentation-driven beers to drier hop-driven beers, I don't know. I, I'm sus suspecting that's just something in the human, not just Australian probably, the the, the uh, human palate that, that, that the nice hop characters, um, what they contribute to beer that people actually really enjoy. Um, I, sh I, I should add, just in saying that, I've just been served a rather delightful saison, which is <laughs> going back to, to, to that thing, but yeah. Um, but yeah, we're an educated market, and, and, and it's going to be really interesting, diverting for a second off your question, um, Stone Brewing is going to open in Germany, the home of lager, uh, and are they, is that bright, punchy, American hop character type beer going to get the traction in the home of lager. I suspect it probably will. I just actually reckon it's something in our DNA. Not that if you speak to Frank Pfeiffer, the former head brewer for Weinstefan. He can think that, but um, you reckon, you know what, the AB InBev guy probably thought American hops wouldn't be selling as much as they are at the moment in the US either. Um, so uh, that's going to be interesting. My, my gut feeling is there's probably just something in the DNA. Like We like Sauvignon Blanc more than we like other you know, varieties of uh, wine. Uh, so that, that, that punchy, bright, tropical fruit kind of character that you get from them is, I reckon that's a DNA-based thing. Um, Didn't you just describe Stone and Wood Pacific Ale? Uh, that's a low level. Without the wine. Um, yeah, that's a low level. <laughs> the, 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 the Sav Blanc of beers. Yeah, so getting back to the question, yes, yes we have. Um, so fair yeah, that, that, that wasn't a slang. That, that wasn't a slang. <laughs> no. <laughs> I just wanted to get it out there. Yeah, so brew... Yeah. <laughs> Getting back to the question, the, the, the ferment-driven stuff is now a much harder sell. Um, we like making it in the brewery more than, more than we ever have. Um, they're far harder beers to make than just throwing a big bucket load of hops in a tank of beer and there's a few other um, parameters you need to make sure are on point. The fermentation-driven beers like our wheat beers are much more difficult, much more of a challenge and the guys like it when we, when we get to do it, don't have an answer. It was, it was, it was really just... Public selection, and that's also the same reason why initially um, Feral White became the biggest selling beer. We're, we're not particularly good salespeople, marketing people, or anything like that. So the reason that Feral White I'll was tell number Steve one. Pity you said that. Uh, yeah, he hates hearing it, but I keep reminding him that we're not. Um, the um, yeah, it was public selection that got Feral White to our biggest seller to start with, and it was public selection that took it away. It was nothing to do with us concentrating less or more on any beer. What was your initial lineup of beers? It was pretty well that typical one you started um, uh, talking about. So it was like most brew pubs were back then. Uh, and at the time, I was 
very minor shareholder in the business and I just got charged with making beer. So there was a lager. I think we, we had the first uh, organic beer in Australia called our organic Pilsner. Um, we had Feral White being the wheat beer offering. We had a brown ale, ours being an alt beer at the time. Uh, we had a pale ale, which is like a 4.5% American pale ale. We had a mid-strength, which was just nondescript and bit to think about embarrassing that we had to make it and then there was a six tap that was seasonal season, uh, seasonal changing beer um so that, that that changed in 2007 when um i went from being a minor shareholder to the um largest shareholder and we went from six beers to uh, having 18 beers straight away and we we dumped lager straight away we dumped the the brown nondescript beer and we dumped the mid-strength straight away i don't even think pale lasted all that long um, and we just had a much more broader, interesting range of beers straight away. Brendan, off the record, but on tape. Um, <laughs> it's my no, specialty. We'll do a bit of a shit sandwich. So we'll start, that's all, all the nice stuff, and then we'll, we'll put the other bit of bread at the end, but just for the middle <laughs> bit. Um, what, what, and we've discussed this privately, so I don't expect you to specifically name, well, particularly the three breweries that you actually name, but without naming it, yeah, just generally... What do you think are the, uh, I guess, the biggest threats going into the next five years for us as a as a beer industry? Yeah, as as broad topics, I don't think there's necessarily brews. The first one's obviously going to be quality. No, it sounds like a, just a repeat of what everyone says, but it legitimately is. Um, so, uh, but we've discussed again privately that how much that's improved, mm. but you think that there's still is it new players coming into the market need, I guess, to to learn that this is the minimum standard? Or do you think is it a risk of people getting complacent and standards slipping or a, bit, a, a combination? A bit, a bit of both. And then there's also there's, there's the two types of quality. There's the objective and the subjective. Um, we'll talk about... Mm, I'll speak maybe first about the uh, subjective bit. Uh, and at times I worry that we're making a bit of a race to the bottom, as in, like, we'll just be... A bit like, and I, excuse me, 150 lashes for singing that. Like, if, if that's your baseline craft beer, then small independent craft brewers just want to be half a hop stronger than that, or half a hop, you know, um, and we just want to just take half a keg a week off those, and, and that's what our business is about. Um, I don't think that's all that sustainable if that's the way you're opening up and what you want to be. So that's that's a subjective part. We need to, craft brewers need to kind of open with a real clear, distinct um certain way of what they are what they speak for and why they do what they do um and that will then their final expression of that is going to be the beer they make um then on the on the objective part as in you know should it it's a bit sour and it shouldn't be has it got this fault and that fault it's just not okay to have any fault yes the base standard is raised but it needs to continue to raise and equally as you know, it's becoming e more and more easy to, to enter. Like, um, brew houses are far cheaper now to buy than, say, back pre my feral days when I used to work for a company and I used to sell and project manage brewery installs and be a project brewer. The money you need to spend now to open the doors is far, far less, so the, the less barrier to entry. So there are people that can enter on a whim to a degree uh, with with no commitment and just think, oh, it might be a fun thing to do. Now, if they do that and they don't make really good beer, they're going to, in one way or another, de not, um, depending how many of there are, many of them there are, will depend on the degree, hurt 
the rest of the craft brewers that are doing a good job. Well, yeah, kind of thing. Yep. exactly. Talking about barriers to entry, what's what, what's your position on crowdfunding a brewery startup? I'm not a social media guy, so I, don't, I think that's a social media kind of thing. So it's probably I don't know. I don't know that I'm qualified. I don't really have a view. Okay, is that okay? I mean, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so back to my think? really good question before Matt just. <laughs> <laughs> just did you not finish answering it? Yeah. No, I think that's it. It's more the poison the well thing. Yeah. Okay. So that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. No, that was it. That was. I'd spent a lot of time on that. Well, I'm, I'm just going to let you keep going. Just you know, I'd, 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 I'd hate my turgid commentary to get in the way. <laughs> you take things so seriously sometimes, mate. <laughs> uh, so, Brent, what next for Feral? Because you've, you've already there's the, um, and I'm interested in whether this becomes a a model, whether other breweries are watching what you and John Stallwood at Nail have done. Um, and in fact, just after between the first and second sessions today, there was a bit of a discussion about is it possible that you know in the next five years the growth that we're seeing now we're at 350 odd breweries as we as we sit is that kind of growth sustainable do we see breweries perhaps say well you've got a you know 100 hectolitre system i've got one he's got one he's got, maybe we get all get together and get a 500 you know or and combine our resources or do we see some just uh, i can't survive in this market and they they just drop off tell, tell us about your experience with I guess the combined mm. or the you know the co-op brewery almost with yeah uh, so the the thing for John and I has worked out well but I mean I think that's just a unique piece that relationship um, it's all happy families continue to be it's it's changed a little bit we've gone from half half to us being a bit more than him uh, as we move our brewery now um, and we've never had a crossword and I'd be very surprised if we ever did. Um, Will people drop off because they don't have scale and all that kind of thing? I think they'll drop off more just because they don't have one or two of the things right that they need to. And, and I guess this is where my thought is a bit differently. If we go back to some of the early chats that we had, Matt, it was all about, oh, look, quali quality beer will get you over the line. Quality beer will get you over the line. Focus on quality, focus on quality. You'll get there, you'll get there, you'll get there. Um, that was back in the days when there was actually a lack of capacity within the industry so you could even be of dubious quality and because there was a lack of supply uh, you would sell and you'd be okay um, there's actually in the even just in the last two to three years there's actually been some capacity built into the Australian industry there's a lot gone into stainless steel and and I reckon there's now probably um, and overcapacity in the short term, and these these things go in cycles. What's here now will will not be the case in twelve months' time or eighteen months' time. You you, you think there's an overcapacity at the moment in the small? There certainly is if you take the industry as a whole, including the big brewers, and you look at. So so I'm, I'm just talking towards say the independent craft brewers at the moment. Okay. You know, line have endless capacity. They just keep tacking it on, and CUB if they can sell a craft beer one day, they'll just tack on when they can sell one. Um, the yeah, but I, but I think now within the independent guys, and just say we've got our little patch that we're all going to work in, and we're working to make that patch bigger. That there's more, there's more supply than there is demand, and I, I don't see it as a, a long term thing. I don't see it as a problem, um, but given that's the case, absolutely, you know, the quality things run true, but that's no longer enough. So you need to get smarter, better at all the sales, marketing. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, education of hospitality staff, of 
um, consumers, all that kind of thing, to make sure that you continue to thrive and do well. You, you mentioned that you were a small partner in Feral when you first started brewing for them and you became the dominant partner. Once you became the, the owner of Feral, um, did you set out with a plan that, well, we're going to do this for this long at Swan Valley, then we're going to either grow that or grow production and then once we get to that stage we're going to expand that or has every step of the way been, shit, this is what we're doing now, how can we grow it? It's been mostly organic, so it's been this is where we are and how do we can't just keep doing this, so what do we need to do next to be able to to move on? Well, what's the next step? So there was no master plan, if that's your question. It was not, we'll do this and we'll do this and this will happen and we'll do th It was very much, here we are today, a little bit wake up in the morning, which way is the breeze going and and um, we like to go downwind rather than upwind. I have to say, you kind of get that sense given four years ago you built a brand new beautiful brewery and now you've got to move from that and build a whole new brewery. What was, you know, what was your thinking when you realised you actually had to go through that entire build a brewery from scratch process again? Uh, there was never that much regret because we moved into a small space and we actually, we ran the numbers. I don't want to, Maybe I'll be brief on this because I've been asked to speak specifically about it on Friday. Um, but there's not that much regret in having to move the brewery now um, other than the interruption. There's actually no um, cost um, loss, if uh, so to speak, uh, in, in, in all the expense that's involved in moving it. If you kind of look at what we would have paid in rent from day one for a space that was far too bigger that we would move into now, we're kind of there or there about square. There's certainly a lot of stress at the moment that may not have been there, but there might have been some financial stress earlier. You, you've, uh, apart from your early forays into contract brewing to try and grow the brand, you haven't thought of going back there. You know, you've got Gage Roads just down the road that seems to be under sort of capacity um, but they, they seem to knock out some pretty good beers. You, you don't have the ability to work with them or, you know, uh, any of the other larger venues on this side of the, the country to grow your brand and stay without having to build a whole new brewery? No, in short, no. Um, if we had to think, you know, you, you make mistakes over the journey and you do some things that are really smart uh, and wonder why I didn't do them earlier over the journey too. So we, we'd, we'd probably mark that up, that contract brewing thing up to to one thing that we wouldn't do again. It didn't do us any good. Um, why is that? I, I'm not going to go so far as to say maybe that, you know, the question earlier, why don't you sell as much for a white as you used to? Was there some damage from the contract brewing thing? Don't know. Don't, don't have an exact answer, but we'll, my gut tells me there might have been a little bit of that. There, there are a lot of breweries that are building their brand going down the contract route. Um, what do you think is the detriment to your brand um, with, with going uh, and, and contract brewing? Uh, we, s I guess we speak to more about wanting to brew the beer that we like. And um, you know, back when we opened, that was a legitimate reason to open because you couldn't buy it. I don't know, just out of um, as, as an aside, that if you want to open a brewery today, you're opening it because you can't beer the can't buy the beer you want to buy. I reckon our market's now gone past that. You'd be a pretty fussy fellow not to be able to buy the beer that you want to buy now. Um, so 
we, we speak to, that's one of the main reasons why we open. And so for us, it's about brewing. Um, we actually just, it's more about just our team of people that like to be master of our own destiny, the whole continuous improvement thing within the brewery. Um, you know, there's, there's never perfection. There's always better consistency. There's better adherence to um, specifications and that, those type things. And, and there's just no way that, that you could give that to an outside source and have that kind of control over what you, what you do. Um, so that's probably why we, we wouldn't go there. Uh, Brendan, I know we're, we're kind of getting away a little bit from you know the science of the brew house, kind of specifically. Um, but in terms of the the next step, um, and let's talk about you know established breweries, and we've seen uh, we've seen buyouts, and we've seen uh, all that you know um, takeovers and mergers and whatever else. Do you guys have either in the back of your mind or or something you know written down on the back of a coaster somewhere at Feral HQ, the succession plan? Uh, and we talked about how, you know, perhaps handing control over uh, of, of the brewery over to the employees, uh, whilst in theory a great idea can have dire consequences uh, or, or possible the possibility of such. Um, have you thought about, you know, what happens to Feral when you decide that you just want to lay back on your bed of millions and uh, and just watch the sunset? Well, there's no better millions till you sell out to the dark side, so let's be clear on that. So that's probably not going to happen with us. Um, in fact, I'll say it won't. Um, well, we, we talk... Well, so I think a bit about secession plan. Um, yes, our people are really important to us and then they'll all likely become a big, a big part of it. Um, but it'd be... A, I think, you know, on when we're not quite there with with what what our overall secession is going to be other than you know what we're, we're going pretty well um we're happy with where we are and i'm not quite sure what i'd wake up in the morning and do tomorrow uh if i wasn't here and doing it so that's about as far as the secession plan goes have you had uh, people knocking on the door and saying we love what you do we want to partner with you we want to help you get your beer out further and if so who and how much just, just, just ballpark. Uh, that, that's not quite how they put it. But <laughs> that's always how the press releases read, though. Yeah. That's not quite how they put it. So how, how do they put it? When, when they so, so I, I, I take it, I, I take it from that that yes, they have come knocking. We won't ask you who or how much yet. Um, but how do they put it when they say you know? They're commercial beasts and they're quite blunt and they just say, "Are you for sale?" And what do you say? No. In, in, no, like in 25, in 25 no rude words or fewer. <laughs> but, but like, is it absolutely no or that depends? I would just say no. Have, have you ever been tempted to say, strike down a number and I'll let you know? Like just to get a... Oh, they put numbers in front, but... Oh, they do? Yeah. Okay. A for sale and they give you a number. Can you sort of give us... Ed, can, can you... <laughs> no. Can, can, can you tell no. us how many zeros? No. Hypothetically, okay. if there was a, a, a brewery of around about the same capacity no. as Feral... In a regional area, Move what do you on. reckon it would be worth? But not feral. Don't know. I'm out, we, Matt. We oh. command a premium. I mean, you're not going to get that one. Can we have two more beers for Brendan? We got some. <laughs> yeah, that barley wine. Yeah, yeah. A couple of double IPAs. And we'll ask him again. And has has that happened more frequently? Um, you know, over the last twelve or eighteen months, we, we we've seen in the states, we've seen, you know, an acceleration of uh, brewery buyouts and and. Even there, when you're talking about an acceleration, you're talking about you know, maybe a dozen notable breweries 
in the last uh, year or two. So it's not in in a country with four thousand breweries, a dozen is still a, a fairly drop in the water. But we have seen a, a, an expansion in that we've seen Mountain Goat go in Australia. Are they coming more insistently or more interestedly or more determinedly than they did maybe two years ago? Look, there aren't that many suitors, so a firm no lasts for quite a while. Um, How but long? I want to get any sort of concrete number out of you at uh, all. You won't get a number. Um, but I, I, I mean, I guess that being the case, there aren't that many suitors and they don't need that many breweries. So if someone's opening a brewery, operating a brewery and thinking they're lining themselves up for a payday at some point from a big brewery, they don't need that many in Australia. Um, so... There's going to be another two or three or four. I, I can't really see a need for more than the next four would be an absolute outside number just for if there happens to be anyone listening that thinks I'll open a brewery and I'll get an offer in such and such time. There's not, that good, there's not going to be that many more trade sales. So as you get in and if exit is something that's important for you to understand, then perhaps uh, really think about whether you're likely to be one of those or should you have a better exit. What's your exit? Like I said, I don't know what, uh, like I said, I don't know what I'll do in the morning uh, if I didn't have it, so I don't need one. Well, and, and, and that's something that I uh, had discussions about recently. We've recently seen uh, Lion by Byron Bay, which has had a very checkered history. It's been a little bit all over. And it, it's been a brewery that's been a brand that's been looking for something um, for, for some period. Um, and it seem, it, it's a very small brewery. We know it's less than 250,000 litres a year because that is their capacity and there is room for growth. That seems to be something that Lion is, sees an ability to grow based on the brand. Um, is, it, you know, you, you, is there a capacity for more international brewers to come in and buy into the market? Um, or you know, where are we going to see the growth or the expansion or the capital injections uh, locally? Is it going to be from existing brewers? Is it going to be from the retail chains? Or is it going to be from venture capital? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the stuff that's happened lately has la largely been from you know independent brewers. Um, I don't even bother speaking towards what line do be, uh, because they just add to their capacity and you don't even know and... Uh, it's 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 not an issue for them. I mean, I spent the day walking around Creatures in Geelong and walked out like a green angry monster um, be because of what they can do and how easily they can do it. Um, yeah, the, the capacity's come to date. I think I think from private. I think it will continue to. Um, yeah. Do you think we'll see? breweries in Australia merging, like smaller independent breweries or the, the lower tier breweries merging to get the economies of scale or the synergies that come with, uh, you know, having combined sales teams. And we've seen a couple of um, partnerships in, in the, the US. Do you think that's the model that we'll see in Australia? Yeah, it could do. The distribution side, I think we're really, really um, probably a couple of steps behind where we are on production and, and like the actual brewery side. I think we're got lots of gaps in in distribution of beer in Australia and it's a ridiculously expensive place to shift beer around um, uh, the 
you talk to the US guys and they're shocked about the dollars we pay to move a box or a keg of beer from, from the brewery to the final customer. And what drives that? You know, what, what, what is the reason that it, it's so expensive in Australia given that we are a big country and you would think that the infrastructure would be around shipping things around the country? Uh, so we have a higher minimum wage. Um, is probably a big part of it. We're, we're just a more expensive... Can we just put beer in an Uber? Yeah, almost. Yeah, I look, there's, there's times when we could put beer in an Uber from our brewery and ship it around Perth faster than we could put it into a distribution channel. There's a business model, we can call it Bruber. Bruber. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so, I mean, what are the, what are the barriers to... Uh, actually, I'll take a step back. Everyone wants to look at America and say 4,000 breweries, 15% uh, of the market now. Um, is, is Australia directly com comparable? Um, are, are we just 10 years behind and no. we are going to get there? Look, uh, we're miles and miles and miles behind in relation to what, how educated our consumer or our market is. But by way of number of breweries, I mean, it was early in the morning, but we did get a coaster out and do some quick calculations on per head of population, how many breweries we've got versus the US, and we're there or thereabouts per head of population. Um, and that, that, I guess, is something to be really looked at. We don't have this extended period of gradual consumer education, so they've you know, people know what craft beer is and they know to buy it for whatever reason, what they like, what they don't like, what's good, what's bad. Um, and we have a smaller number of people that are aware of, you know, th that, that can buy into it on a proper level as a consumer. So we've got, we got the equal amount of breweries, but a far less educated and smaller amount of educated people that are consuming from us at the moment. We're just sort of past halfway, and I'm guessing that there'll probably be quite a few questions for Brendan. So, Matt, unless you've got something specific, I thought we might throw it open to you guys uh, and see if you guys have got any questions or comments um, or another way to get information out of Brendan. Uh, down the front here, James Atkinson, uh, Australian Brews News. I couldn't ask you anything harder than what you've already been asked. I don't think these guys are brutal. Um, <laughs> when, you, up. when you look at the, the new brewery and what you're... You plans are for future growth, um, do you see that coming from the eastern states and if so, is it, um, how much of a challenge is it being based in WA in terms of um, future expansion? Yep, that is actually a good question. So I was just recently up in the US and I love getting there. Um, it, to me it's a little bit of a crystal ball thing about what may, not necessarily will, but may happen. Um, for us here in Australia and there's two things that I took out of it. One is that everybody's going to be making about, every brewery's going to be making about seven kettle soured beers uh, at one time in the future, which I, which I didn't necessarily like. Um, and the other was like the, the local, the, the, the region thing. So we're actually probably more bullish on WA than we are the rest of the country um, because that's where our resources are, that's where we know and we've got a longer history. Um, we can engage better with the community and that type of thing. So we're actually really bullish that off a big, bigger base, we'll continue to do well there than medium to long term we may do over this side of the country. So, so we're actually probably going to hunker down a little bit in WA and um, let what happens over here kind of be a bit more organic. And, and there is obviously enough growth to be had for feral within that, within that market. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, part of the reason is um, 
as a consumer market, when, I mean, we're only small by number, but as a consumer market, we're probably advanced of the rest of the country. And that's on the back of we've had Matilda Bay many years back. Then we had little creatures with, with good impact following that. So um, the consumer's probably marginally more, or perhaps not even marginally, just probably broadly more um, aware of what craft beer is, what it means, what the different styles, tastes, flavours, what's quality, what's not quality in WA than it is over here on the East Coast. So no uh, feral brew pub on in the Eastern States anytime soon? It's n- the wind is not blowing that way at the moment. <laughs> Matt, are you running for a federal parliament with an answer like that? <laughs> that, that that's a non-denial denial. It's and beautifully done. Any <laughs> other questions for Brendan? Here we go. Down the back. Uh, g'day, Brendan. Um, I've got a couple of science questions that I was wondering if you could uh, give us some views on. Good, eh? Um, <laughs> we've, we've heard a bit about quality uh, today and how we can uh, assure that quality. Uh, obviously, one of the ways that you can do that is through using sort of science to test uh, things and making sure you're hitting certain targets. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell me um, or share some of your views on um, what the key pieces of, of a lab equipment would be if you were setting up a lab, um, what key parameters you might uh, be looking for uh, to measure uh, using that lab, and also any thoughts around water chemistry. Uh, yep, just trying to work out what the best order to take those in. So I'll tell you the second bit first in, re- in relation to the parameters. Um, so the, the, the parameters are obviously going to be the basic, um, you know, take your... P- pH is absolutely the number one parameter in any brewery and you, and you take it everywhere um, at every stage. Uh, you can learn a lot from just graphing pH through your brewery and it's inexpensive to do. And So maybe I'll just combine one and two together in relation to cost and parameters. Um, back more in my comfort zone now. Um, Damn. <laughs> so... So, so then, then after pH, you're obviously going to measure your, your um, original extract and your apparent extract, and that falls into brew house efficiency. You can do that really, really inexpensively with a set of hydrometers. If, if you've got no money, you can buy a hydrometer for 10 bucks, or you can buy a couple of expensive hydrometers that cost 200 bucks each. And When we first started looking at this panel, and we were looking at a lot more science uh, in, involved in it, and I asked you what the equipment, you said uh, you should start with a pencil and a piece of graph paper. Mm. And so that'll come straight after these. So you need just some basic equipment to be able to collect the the original and finishing gravity, and, and then your brew house efficiency. And you need a th- you need a thermometer to check the temperature of those. And then you need a water graph paper, and it needs to be graph paper rather than Excel spreadsheet because they're not detailed enough uh, or, or fine enough compared to proper graph paper. So so if that's your budget, that's fine. And and you can you can you can work out brew house efficiency and. Um, actual consistent fermentation starting and finishing with with those few things that have cost you just a few hundred bucks um yeah you can then if you want you can after that as you as you grow and more people need to test stuff and they different people using bits of graph paper then the graphs become a little bit less less reliable that kind of thing you you know you can buy um you buy you know, you can handheld gravity meter for a few thousand dollars or then you can buy an instrument that'll give you that and alcohol all in the same for twenty odd thousand dollars. So they're they're the basics. Um, and when you speak to that, one of one of the things that some, sometimes I hear in a in a brewery when you walk through it is, um, uh, look, 
the gravity is always roughly the same. We just worry about taste. We're artisans. Um, we don't we we, ne- we don't even calculate our brew house efficiency. Now that, that that just makes me cringe when I hear that. You know that, that that's not artisan. That's just not doing your job um, because yeah, you're, you're putting money down the drain, and that money down the drain can be the next. You know they they will very very quickly pay for the next thing you need to in- improve your quality program and. And you know, if you if you're about quality, then you don't put money around the drain. You reinvest it back in, and you, and you, you get better equipment, better, better toys, tools, brewery porn, whatever you want to call it. Um, and and not measuring the basics is, is tells me that you don't actually speak to quality. You probably speak a bit more to laziness. Um, so 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 that's it. So gravity. Um, you know, then there's lots you can do just with eye for f- that, that, that that we always did religiously from day one when we had no budget, and that was just like, you know, finished beer. You get your simple, you know, your beer colour chart, and you, you 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 make sure you're in the same room with the same lighting every time, and you say which one does it look like? Is the colour right? And you can do the same thing with turbidity. You can do the same thing with foam stability. You know, do it pour it the same way, in the same room, with the same light and make a note. What was the foam stability? How long did the foam last? And, you know, foam stability tests in big breweries are expensive bits of gear, but you, you can actually do it just with your senses, your eyes, your ears, your mouth. Um, similar thing, walk around a brewery and there's music playing so loud that you can't hear what the hell's going on with your brewery. Well, ears, believe it or not, can actually play a part in beer quality. If you hear a pump sucking air, that likely that that pump's going to be oxidising your beer and if the music's playing too loud then you're not going to hear that pump and you can't go and fix the seal or the whatever it is that's causing that so so there's a hell of a lot you can do with little or no money um and when we were one and two man brewery team then, then we relied on that but we went through the discipline of actually documenting it and writing it down i'd hope that we could run with no instruments and no capital f- forever but when you get more people involved then you actually need the instrument to quantify it a bit more so look now we've got a suite of all sorts of instruments and i mean i can speak to them as much or as little as anyone wants to hear what have you got now that you're a mega brewery what what sort of mega <laughs> brewery. What, what what kit have you got what put, um, can we come in and look at in your brewery in your in your lab um we pretty well got most everything that you need um apart from grass gas chromatography so um so on the beer analysis side on the beer analysis side we've obviously got um what's called an alkalizer which gives you original and apparent extract and alcohol clearly a ph meter which is actually we, we still see ph as one of the key quality measures it's like a little little budgerigar if ph starts to wander a little bit then you wonder where it's going to actually affect beer in the end um so uh so obviously we've got we now got a pretty fancy ph meter that we never allow not to be out of calibration um we do bitterness by way of um uh, solvent extraction we do color uh through uh spectrometer uv spectrometer uh turbidity through the same instrument we've got a forcing test for aging samples, we've got a, a DO meter for pierced and in tank, and we've got separate DO meters in line in some of our transfers. So a, a high level one for wort and a low level PPB one for filtration. And uh, what else we got? We've got plenty more than that. Um, 
Uh, well, maybe I'll move towards the micro while I think about the rest. Um, so on, on micro, we kind of plate, we, we kind of run five plates five times per tank. So we'll, we'll plate at Wirt, we'll plate at 24 hours, we'll plate at Chillback, we'll plate at BBT, uh, and then we'll plate twice during packaging, so that's six, um, which is the f uh, within the first 30 minutes of a packaging run and within the last 30 minutes of a packaging run, we'll plate that, and, and we plate... Uh, what do we play? We played for General Media, uh, Lactics, uh, Wild Yeast, and what else are we playing for? Playing for something else. I can't even think what our what our fourth plate is, but I know there's four plates that we played for, and we also do PCR. And PCR is probably the the PCR being uh, for the layman. Uh, polyresina PCR, polyresina quantitative. Um, there's got to be a C in there somewhere. But effectively what PCR, PCR is, right. I'll tell you what PCR, PCR, PCR is effectively um, amplifying the DMA, DNA in a really short period of time. So it heats it up and cools it down, heats it up and cools it down, then it hits it with a um, set of light waves that tells you what the DNA in the beer would look like in a few days' time. So effectively it shortcuts what you would get from plating. Um, so, it's, so it's focusing on what the DNA and the molecules are and what they would and, and if there's any change there that will equal uh, beer spoiling bacteria the beauty of it is it's like a three and a half hour result and you can bring it into your brewery for little or no money it's I'm not going to say it's a silver bullet because there's still a, um, a personality uh, or a skill thing to make sure that you can take a clean sample and that's not to be underestimated in any quality program um, but if you're certain you can take a clean sample then PCR can give you a real good read on what your beer is going to look like on your plates five days later. So it's a three-day answer. So we use that only at one place in our brewery, and that's post-filtration and pre-packaging. Because um, having refined our method of using PCR, we can have an absolute certainty whether there's a lactic count or not a lactic count going to come on our plates in five days' time. So the 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 headline here is like you can actually depending how many tests you want to run the machine is inexpensive at worst and free at best uh, depending on how often you run it and it costs you about thirty bucks a test and you can absolutely know whether you're going to have a lactic load in your beer or you're not going to have a lactic load in your beer. It was actually when we were talking uh, about these things when we were prepping for this uh, some time ago for, for, for this session. Oh, that prep session. Yeah, yeah, well, the, that chat that we had. Um, but that it was that that gave me the idea for the earlier panel about um, draft quality in the pub, and you, d despite all that you just went through, you still get publicans sending the beer back saying, "Oh mate, there's there, there's something wrong with this beer. It's your fault." Um, how do you get around that, and what do you do um, to make sure that the venues are doing the right thing by your beer that you're not getting? beer sent back um, because you, you're able to when, when somebody sends, sends back a, a keg of your beer and says there's a fault in this you're able to go back to the batch and check it and make sure that it's not you it's them mm. how do you manage that uh, it's 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 difficult so sometimes we'll, we'll put some effort into maybe uh, helping with the line cleaning over the next little period of time um, it's kind of a shame that some of the people from the earlier uh, sessions weren't around to, to kind of listen a bit and get get some thoughts around what they might think. So we, we talk about contracts being evil and all that kind of thing. One of the things I think was a, that was uh, missed in relation to 
to contracts is they take the money, the the large breweries, but they also were responsible for keeping lines in schmick and perfect conditions. And, and well, we whether did or touch not, that on, on that a little bit, I think, before. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not sure that we've necessarily stepped up enough, um, and I'm including us in that, to saying, don't take the contract, Give me, let me sell beer on this line. I don't know that enough craft brewers actually step up and make sure that line is in as good a condition as it was if if that line was under contract with a big brewery. Um, so, yeah, the, the, there's a little bit in that, I guess. Um, yeah, how else do we counteract it? Look, we, we work as closely as we can. So sometimes we've actually given up. There, there have been venues where we've said, you know what, first time we replace it, just whatever, excuse. Next time we'll put some effort into finding out why. If it, if it continues to happen, then we'll just let it go. We'll like, as in that account go. Any other questions? Down the back there, Robin. So I just think one thing you haven't touched on that I'd be interested in is your yeast management as in how many strains you work with and how do you manage them? Uh, we work with, in the brew pub, we work with heaps. Um, we kind of have different, some slightly different, um, not, not rules, but um, specs between the two breweries because the distribution is very, very different. Um, and that comes a bit to your your question in the previous session too uh, about is that last 24 hours important or not? Um, so in the in the brew pub we'll have up to probably five yeast, six yeasts at any one time being collected and repitched, um, and so. In for pitching rate, we just have a hemocytometer and a, and a microscope and we use both blue and violet stains be, um, so that we can count not just the, uh, not just the, not just whether they're alive or dead, but whether they're actually healthy when they're alive or not. So we rely more on the violet stain um, and, and then we will pitch by weight um, based on the count from the hemocytometer. Um, in the production brewery, we would rarely have more than three strains, and we don't. Pit, we two of those are always two of those are dried yeast, and we we actually don't repitch our dried yeast. Um, it'd be it'd certainly we would save a lot, a lot of money uh, every year. We we pretty well buy nearly three hundred kilos of dried yeast a week. Um, we could save bucket loads of money every year by collecting and repitching. We're not sure. We we don't we don't have the the plant equipment people um, to be able to be certain that we can maintain microbial stability of the yeast at this point. So we choose not to repitch dried yeast. Um, yeah, between between an, a, an initial pitch and a, a follow up pitch, there's no there's no quality benefit or loss. Um, what there is for us is just a risk of of it not being totally stable, so we choose just to wear the cost side and not run that risk because we don't think we can control that risk area. Um, in relation to the liquid one, we um, we we do repitch the liquid yeast, but we PCR that quite often before it goes back in. Um, PCR doesn't cover wild yeast, so we've pre we've typically pre-plated it. Uh, and have an early read on a plate, about a three-day read. Typically, we want a five- to seven-day read on a plate. Uh, but we've got a three-day read on a plate, which is an early one, that's telling us, yes, it's clean and okay to pitch. 
So because it's only one of the three strains, we can do it that way. Uh, there's no way we could run our entire brewery on liquid strains the way that I just kind of described. Who's doing the read on the plates? Is that you and the the brewing team, or have you got some? Me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have so you got a lab guy in? Yeah. So we got a we got a, um, a guy's a, he's got a, mic, a PhD in microbiology, um, and so the, he's got limited beer experience before he started with us. So he's still learning about how to use that in beer, um, and so he's got lots and lots of upside because he's understanding more and more about how to apply a really high level PhD um, qualification to the specifics of uh, brewing and he loves beer and he's a passionate guy so we've got lots more that we can get out of him as we move forward. Are there any last questions before we wind up? Because well, you will notice that like talking about you're spot on Brenner like you just seem when you're talking science and that sort of thing you're, you're just so much more I guess, you know, relaxed and that sort of thing. Just within plus or minus 10 million. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is, that, is that close? Uh, no. not, not that relaxed? I gave it a shot. Brendan, just, just so for anyone listening and hearing you spout all of this science-y stuff without even wearing a lab coat or um, goggles, do you have a background in science or is this stuff that you've picked up just through trial and error and understanding, uh, learning that it is increasingly important? So I've had my diploma, yeah. the IBD diploma, um, and I had a couple of years in of an unfinished science degree before doing that. Partially completed, he said, Robin, who's got a who's a, a a doctor, aren't you, Robin? As in, yeah, a heart surgeon, just yeah, not not showing off or anything, but yeah. So please look. look that that scene of did uh, this session. Please huge round of applause for Brennan Virus, who is. Not only one of the uh, the leading brewers in Australia and brewers of one of the leading beers in Australia, but just an all-round uh, really good bloke. And uh, so thank you very much, Brendan, for sort of answering the science questions and the um, half answering the, the money questions, but uh, especially in taking time out in a very, very busy week uh, to, to join us for Radio Brews News. Um, and everyone, thank you very much for, in your own very busy weeks, um, coming in at an ungodly hour, if 11 o'clock in the morning is an ungodly hour in Good Beer Week, which it is, thank you very much, and for particularly for staying throughout the day. So thank you very much for joining us, and uh, I'm pretty sure there's still some beer left, so we can uh, all, all tuck and have a beer. But uh, enjoy the rest of your Good Beer Week, and thank you very much to uh, Pete Mitchum as well for uh, uh, joining me once again. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Enjoy the rest of Good Beer Week. In the garden Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. There you go, Prof. Brennan Varis. Now, he is, he is a bloke that uh, you never tire of talking to. No, no. Uh, every time I speak to Brennan, I learn something new. And this is probably the first time outside of the, you know, the Q&A's format where I've really been able to, to learn a lot about the... Um, quality in the brew house side of things and that um, 
Yeah, and it's just little things that really stuck with me. Like, you know, the, the first bit of equipment that you want to buy if you want to start a brewery is a you know, pencil and some graph paper. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, what you can record, you can replicate, um, you, you can work out where you've done something wrong or where you went right and, and work out how to adjust it accordingly. Um, and we often talk about, you know, oh, you, you can't afford not to have all this high-tech, expensive equipment. Um, but, yeah, you probably need to put that knowledge before the execution, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I should just give that whole discussion a little bit of context because it was a bit hijacked. That initially it was meant to be a panel about science in the brew house, but the scientists that I'd uh, been trying to line up weren't in Melbourne, and so we just ended up having Brendan, and uh, and he is such a good guy that, and he's so knowledgeable and passionate about that that it was a good thing. But, but we, we didn't want him to carry a whole forty minutes of, of just science, so we did kind of. Well, that we wanted throw to some other bits <laughs> well, in. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, to be fair though, those things had had come about. Uh, as a result of questions that Brendan had asked um, or answered in previous uh, panel discussions uh, that went to air last week and the week before. Uh, and so some of that sort of came up again in terms of Brendan's role on the CBIA and his yep. experience with Feral and his uh, science background. And, and it was just also fascinating talking to him about, you know, what, two years after, two and a half years after he... <laughs> walked into his new brewery, suddenly he's having to build a newer brewery. And uh, yeah, and, and that in itself is quite interesting. So um, anyway, but great chat. Look, it was a really good chat. So I think uh, that's the end of our three really good chats from the Cryo Malt uh, Q&A um, at the Festival Hub, at the Trade what was the trade Hub at the Festival Hub or the Trade Lounge yeah, at the Festival Brewers Hub? Lounge. Brewers Lounge <laughs> at the Festival Hub. Yep. Well, Cryo Malt, uh, Beer Deluxe, great people. Thank you very much. And uh, well, yeah, I, I think... I think we got great um, discussions, uh, you know, and certainly the feedback. And that's probably a, a good time to uh, hit us with the cards and letters music, Lockie. I'm writing this letter to try and tell myself it's time for me to feel better, dear me. How could I turn away when he needed me? Now, Prof, you did uh, post something on Facebook. Did uh, this was the, the last episode was one of the few that you've actually listened back to because people have said, "Oh, great episode, guys!" I kind of I, I kind of listen to the intro to make sure it sounds okay and all that sort of thing, and then sometimes I'll skip forward and grab some other bits. This is the first one where really people had said, "Oh, you got to listen to this." <laughs> um, so it got, we got so much feedback. I guess you know a bit of you know a bit of passion was stirred. Um, between the, the co-hosts, and I think that obviously translated to the wider listening audience. Now, kids, mum and dad weren't fighting. We were just... <laughs> I just think we need to listen to other people. <laughs> For a while. Oh, no, we, we, I mean, look, we, we did get uh, Paul Pacey, who's a regular correspondent and actually was a winner of one of the Good Beer um, Week... Uh, competition. Uh, yep. Competitions. Um, lol guys this is the first time I've laughed out loud listening to the podcast when Prof asked Matt is there anything else you'd like to shit can and geez, Matt you bit hard into the bait great stuff guys thanks for the laugh uh, and the bit after the outro music was funny too um, if you didn't listen to the end of the outro music you missed what I think they call in the business an easter egg um, yeah that, that had me laughing as well um, 
Mazen Hajar is a champion, an absolute champion. I realise that his passion may be interpreted as self-serving, but I, for one, agree with his principles about not excluding others from taps under contract. Um, and uh, it certainly was a great discussion with uh, Muzzin. Uh, actually, Prof Muzzin phoned me during the week just to sort of see, you know, have a bit of a chat. Um, and uh, next time we might ha- get him talking about beer styles and just how many there really are because <laughs> it was... <laughs> It was a very, very. I, I can see how wars start in certain parts of the world. Um, if everybody, I, I thought I was fiery, um, and I, I thought I talked loudly, um, and I could hear his hands gesturing through the phone. Yep, yep. I, um, I've had those same discussions many a time. <laughs> yeah, so it was a great chat with Muzzin. So Paul, thank you very much for your feedback. Prof, have you got any other feedback or whispers in the ear, or what can Matt do better? Uh, yeah, I bumped into uh, Pies Josh from um, our friends over at Inebriation Nation. Um, yep. Same sort of thing, particularly on the the contract one. Just said it was the, in all honesty, you know, the the best of um, of the podcast that that we've done. He really, uh, genuinely enjoyed, it, and he was very effusive in his in his praise. Um, he did throw in a little postscript. He, he, not quite sure why Matt still, you know, sort of got a thing against against them. So just did he discuss. really? Yeah. I, I, I said I smoothed it over. I said I think it just it just came from that that one you know the initial thing of the the name and the um I, beer's image kind of thing. But he might yeah, he might need more convincing. I'd, well, Pies Did I mention he was very mate. effusive in his praise of the of what we do? Yeah, yeah. And, and look, yeah, I mean, and, and thanks. And I, again, I and I think I, I got an email and I, I, I thought I'd sent one back. Um, to him, but it was certainly yeah, look. It, I, I mean, I describe myself as a little bit of the canary in the coal mine, and yeah, as you know, Prof, um, I do have views, but you know, that doesn't define me. When you and I are together, you're probably a little bit more uh, demonstrative um, than you are on radio, and whereas I just sort of use this as my therapy session. Um, but yeah, I, I sometimes feel a little bit the canary in the coal mine, and there are some things that when I first got into craft beer. Um, well, first got in, seriously into beer that the thing that I keep crashing up against when you're trying to introduce beer is the perception of beer um, and that it's just a weapon of mass consumption and it's just for drinking by the six pack and you know and, and there is so much damage done around perception and, and then going back to the start of the show that's one of the things I worry about the perception of craft beer um, because I see how powerful and how embedded in perceptions can be and so I worry about what perceptions are being created, and, and that's where, you know, when you, you, you sort of so link the tag of inebriation nation and and one of the hosts is drunk Kevin, it's, it's and, and perpetuating that, and, yeah, yeah. And but that's not to say I'm right, um, because yeah, and, and their emails sort of did um, give their their um, point of view, and I think I might have actually read it out. Um, we did on. On previous podcasts, yeah. So, and I'm assuming you know, that's well, the only. I, I can't remember another time that we we've done. So maybe maybe uh, Josh didn't get the email. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of what I'm saying, it sounds like I'm still saying this is how the world is, um, and I make it in terms of a positive statement. Where in reality, in my head, I'm asking. It's prefaced by, "Isn't this how it is?" And looking at the re- reverse to try and change my mind. And that's why I had such a great chat with Muzzin because we had two blokes completely going at it and discussion was a, was a sport. Like it, it was, you know, it, it, it was Just no. Just be careful because it can be, it, it, it is a combat sport. <laughs> full, no, it doesn't context, have to be. When you're talking to Muzzin, oh. yeah, it, yeah, it can become and, a full contact sport. 
but hopefully we sort of, you know, left it on good terms. Well, in fact, I know we left it on good terms. And, and, and that's the thing. So it's not, um, so yeah, so, I mean, absolutely. Anyway, the guys, no, yeah, the guys at IN yeah. podcast, um, send their, their wishes to us. Um, and look, and Josh wasn't the only one. There were plenty of other brewers who, um, particularly on the, the, the tap contract issue. Uh, and uh, as I said last week, we, we had lots of other people from volunteers to just regular punters to regular listeners. Uh, who like, would come up to me after things. Say, Sorry, I had no idea who you were, but then when you started talking, I recognised your voice from Radio Brews News. Um, you know, great on the um, the contract, the tap contract thing was really good. Uh, and a lot of people, I think I mentioned last week, wanting us to follow up on things like shelf space and, and that. So taking it out of the the tap thing and into you know retail shelf space and how perhaps some some brewers have a, an advantage over others for um, you know pay to play or pay for position, that sort of thing. So maybe that's, you know, it, it, here is a conversation. We've started the conversation. I don't think it's over yet. Absolutely. And, you know, and it really does come back to me. All of that does come from point of, you know, come from point of view. Um, and, you know, Muzzin is absolutely sincere and passionate with what he does, but that's also one of the things that he uses as his angle. Um, and particularly with, with shelf space, I mean, I look at it, you know, on one hand, it, it, it makes me incensed that you sort of think, well, a brewery can spend money and get the, the, the prime, the eye level, and it's always going to be the big guys. It's always going to be unfair. But then the flip side is that when you speak to, you know, um, guys that are in a bottle shop um, who can only cert- charge a certain margin for their beers or, or, or whatever, or, you know, there's a lot of competition, having a, having a shelf at eye level has value that the bottom shelf doesn't. And how do you, you know... Work out who goes there, and you know if if someone's willing to pay for it, that's yep. just unlocking. You know. You'll always make sure that your beer tastes better. Yep, yeah, and I, mean, I don't mean by that better than it did. I mean better than its competitor. Because if it doesn't matter if you're on eye level, if you're making craft beer, you're not going to do any good. That's right. So, or if you're making, um, but I would encourage everyone to go back. We did have a lot of great. Um, uh, Comments on the muzzin on, on, on the podcast about tap contracts. Yep. Um, and, and as a side note, some, like, some of some of producer Lockie McIntosh's best work, I thought, in the edit suite as well. In the edit suite, yes. Oh no, that was draft. That was draft quality that he. Oh, it was that. too. Yeah. So yeah, no, um, <laughs> tap contracts is the one that he fell asleep That's and it. forgot the uh, cards and letters music. Anyway, didn't do anything. So uh, yeah, so um, and one comment. Um, Rod Locke, uh, at times this podcast had me thinking, laughing and yelling at my car radio. That's what we go for. Um, Muzzin Hajar is the most interesting person I've heard talking about beer for a long, long time. His views seem to be the only one that led us away from where we were 80 years ago with big brewers, swallowing smaller guys and closing down market choice. Um, so, yeah, so, and Rod actually yeah. posted a few others. Um, then, actually, there was another comment that was on the, the website, um, James Atkinson did a follow-up interview with Charlie Bamforth um, that has drawn a, a lot of comments as well, where Charlie weighs in and says, gimmick's bad for beer. Um, a lot of discussion around that. You know, a lot of people going back to um, our discussion at the start of the podcast, Prof. Yes. Um, and uh, one well-known industry person, um, and I know that from his email, but I won't embarrass him because he's chosen to go by the uh, name Jim Bob. And if you're listening, you know who you are. Um, and come on, put your head above the parapet. Um, could not agree more, Charlie. Carrot beer, egg and bacon beer, semen beer, piss off. It makes the whole craft beer industry look silly and immature. And the average shrinker would walk past it on the shelves or perhaps stop for a laugh, then put it down and buy something that doesn't have those ingredients. Um, so, yeah. I only wish... Like uh, vodka put, in a glass skull. 
bottle, for example. Well, but that's not that. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, and that's where the whole thing is a continuum of marketing. Or a ten pack and, of dehydrated Chinese apple ethanol bubbles. Yeah. Masquerading anyway, as cider. I, now, Prof, you always. I, I was just reading the comment out. I, was, I didn't want to go back over. Calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. I didn't want to go back over. I've been criticised in past episodes for when we've closed the discussion down, <laughs> suddenly firing up again, and I'm. Let, let's I'm, let's I'm, not end the podcast on a fight. Yeah, no, no, but I'm, I'm listening to our punters. I was just reading that comment. No, no, out that's good. Yeah, and making uh, a point. And it does show too. Nice. There is so much passion around beer, and in the same way that the taste of beer is so subjective, so too are a lot of the elements and issues around. Marketing around branding, around taste, around style, around gimmick, hype, novelty, all the rest of it. And but that's I read why that I out. love it. That's, that's why I love it. But that's also one of the reasons I'm why I read that. positive that um, I love it. I, I read that particular comment out because whilst the comments you often see online, you know, from people who are just enthusiastic, you and I, you know, have beers a lot with brewers and get a whole range of views that aren't always expressed um, you know, out loud. Um, yeah, and sometimes we, yes. So sometimes we're almost used as a conduit for that. And, and that was a great example because it was somebody who uh, probably surprised me a little bit that that was his view. But it's, you know, for anyone that wants to, uh, you know, shit can Charlie Bamforth um, for, for his views, there are a lot of people uh, making great beer who uh, tend to agree with him. But anyway, uh, anything else? Any other? There was nothing on uh, iTunes this week. Um, so get out there, you get any, give us a rating. Please, please do jump on, help other people find the podcast. And Prof, now, last week I raised the idea, you would said how people, yeah, now, now's where we get into the grubby, filthy Luca, um, Lockie. So if you want to play, you know, give us our money, uh, great, great rock and roll swindle. Yeah, play a money themed uh, tune. Um, Don't you dare we, play we did. Pink Floyd. I can't stand it. Most overrated <laughs> band ever. Behind you too. And that's Pete Mitchum at bruisenews.com.au. Props uh, butt shots. <laughs> hey, well, if I'm you want to talk about music. Yeah. Um, how, how can listeners, if they do like well, what we do and would like to make a monetary contribution towards same to show that they do, what could we do to incentivize them and then reward them, Matt? We did raise last week. Because I'm not. Uh, I should just put it out there. Matt and I have discussed this, and we're both very uh, against the idea of just, um, I guess you know, panhandling in the street. Um, but if we were able to, you know, perhaps give uh, a, a donator a podcast credit, you know, executive producer credit, or um, give them some, another chance to, I guess, become involved in the podcast. Could we, I, I would be happy to do that. And look, mate, I, I, as with anything, I'm amazed that anyone listens, let alone wants to give over their hard-earned to this thing. But from the feedback that you and I both get, it is, you know, people do love the show. They listen regularly. They complain when we uh, aren't regular. Um, 
you know, so if they see value in what we're doing, maybe they will like to donate a little bit. Um, so I took last week, there is a thing called Patreon, which is you know, it, it's patronage. So if you like what we do, you can jump on the Patreon um, website, which is uh, linked to from our, uh, from the, from the, which I will link to from this week's podcast, but it's just patreon.com forward slash Osbrews News. And you can just sign up to, uh, and we weren't sure whether we did it by the episode or by the month. We've gone with by the month. Let us know what you think. Um, and you can either donate $5 a month or you know, um, become a patron for $5 a month. Um, and so you get four shows um, for five bucks. Um, and then it'll just, I think it automatically takes from your credit card. And I don't even know what percentage of that we get. Um, but so you can sign up and pay $5 a month or $10 a month. Um, if you really love us and you're really cashed up, um, and yeah, and, and in return, if you are a five dollar patron, um, you will get a show credit. We'll list your name at the end of each episode that you are a sponsor. Um, if you're a ten dollar um, patron, you become an executive producer, um, which will give you uh, your name at the end of the podcast, and it will also uh, will let you well, nominate. Can we, can we slip it into Blimini during? subliminally during the interview as well like just mention the person's name yeah we'll, we'll do a shout out we'll, we'll do a shout out to our um yeah, cool. patrons our ten dollar patrons but also a ten dollar patron gets the chance to nominate a guest that they would like to get on and if we can get that person on we'll uh either do a show around them or depending on their um time um even just to get them on for a 10 minute segment that you can be a co-host with us um for that and ask that person whichever questions have been burning uh, for you to, to, to ask. So all that for $10 a month. Um, and Prof, I, I might even just sort of stick a, uh, for, for people that don't want to commit, they might just want to make a one-off donation. Um, we might just put a, uh, PayPal link on that people who just want to do, cause Patreon doesn't let you do a one-off donation. It's a, oh, okay. it's a recurring thing. Um, so I might even put a PayPal thing for anyone that wants to just make a 10, 15, $20, 50, hungry. Um, buy us a beer. Anyone that would like to buy us a beer, um, you can. Um, so yeah, listeners, we'll, we'll give it a try. If you think that we, what we're doing is good and you'd like to see us uh, keep doing it, um, and yeah, um, just jump on and you can uh, become a patron of Radio Brews News and earn our undying gratitude. Yeah. Uh, now, Prof, what's, sorry, do you want to yeah. close that out? No, that, no, no, beautifully done. I was actually thinking of having two PayPal buttons, you know, like the um, coffee bean jar, one for <laughs> donate to Prof, donate to Matt. But um, I, I don't think that my um, my self worth could uh, cope that sort of drubbing. It's not so. a popularity contest, Matt. <laughs> well, when it Maybe comes to money, pops. Prof. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, know, a, that's all we've got time for this week. I think we should let him go. We, we, we should let him go. Although no one complained about the uh, the epic. Uh, you know the 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 triple uh, triple volume or triple what would they call it double length. album feature, feature yeah. length double Fe- album feature length episode all... last last week. But yeah, uh, look, when so... you have those those kinds of um, panel discussions, uh, and, and it's it's important that we and there was other news around with Good Beer Week and and Gabs as well, so we had to sort of squeeze all that in. So thanks for indulging us, guys. And, uh, yeah, certainly thank you. And please don't forget to, um, let us know what you think. Um, we, we do, uh, listen and we are interested and, uh, we, we certainly, uh, do value, uh, catching up with you guys for a beer. Now, Prof, um, just before we go, this is episode 92 from memory. So we've got yeah, eight more, eight yep. weeks, eight weeks till we get it. Um, we, are we any closer to 
finding our panel or are we just sort of still kicking ideas around? Uh, having to uh, to get some feedback from our listeners on uh, perhaps other issues or guests that they've enjoyed over the journey that they might like to hear from again and remembering that if they are members of the craft beer glitterati, we may have the opportunity to, to get three or four of them, I guess, at the most. Uh, anything else might be a little bit unwieldy, um, but to do a little um, front bar discussion with uh, with three or four brewers during the Craft, beer, craft Brewers Conference in June. Yeah, so we'll be able to actually have hopefully have a chance of getting them all in the room. And I know that July. Ben Krause is in town, so uh, phone uh, the, the, the number that's appearing on your screens now and press 1 to vote for Ben Krause to be on the panel. Um, the tribe is voting. <laughs> the tribe is voting. Yes, to yes, keep Ben. <laughs> anyway, mate, always good to chat. What's up uh, this week for you? You've got a little bit of time at home refamiliarising yourself with your children? Yes, yeah, before we uh, – and, and catching up on a few articles and um, other people's podcasts that I'm listening to. And because it's good to get a, a sort of a, a broad – particularly something like Good Beer Week, which is, I, I guess, such a feature on the Australian beer landscape, to get um, other people who do podcasts get their uh, wrap-ups and – um, because the reality is, you know, it's just so hard to get uh, even a, a broad range of experiences in when you're when you're working uh, on the inside, because you, you you tend to sort of you know see the same people over and over again. But um, uh, that's about it for me. Yeah, that, that'll be my week. I might look forward to catching up next week. Now we're, we we won't tease our guests because we're not sure at this stage who it is. Um, but we are trying to get somebody that we've been talking about for some time, so uh, we'll keep working on that. But, Prof, look forward to talking to you 10 a.m. next Tuesday. Done and done. Now we'll um, play us out with some... I wonder if it's sunshine, rainbows and lollipops. Or... <laughs> Just so everyone knows that you know, it's all... They're, 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 they're you know, virtually shaking hands virtually across the waves. Anything but guitar music. <laughs> I can play Kumbaya. I'm not going to get my guitar. <laughs> Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Everything is awesome when we live in our dreams. Everything is better when we stay together. And we're out.